on our show today. It's our Halloween special, and who better to have on our show than Starhawk? She is an author. She is an activist. She is a pagan, and she's so much more than just a witch. So just that term in and of itself, I'm leery of using that with you because I know there's a fair bit of sort of journalistic sensationalism that comes with that, and, and I know that people... Uh, have a lot of baggage that comes with that word. Are you okay with that word, or do you tend not to use it yourself? Um, For me, it's been very important to really reclaim that word, partly because it's a word that so often has been used uh, against women in particular, um, and I think when we take it on and we unpack what it really means, uh, it leads us into a whole understanding of a history that has often been forgotten, which comes originally from an Anglo-Saxon root word, wick, which meant to bend or twist, and it referred to somebody who could bend or shape your fate, bend or change reality. It's connected to wicker and willow, which is a very bendable form of uh, tree and branch. And the witches were the healers, the shamans, the wise women, uh, the ones you'd go to for counseling, uh, the ones who maintained the old healing traditions and the herbal traditions and the knowledge of the land. And in that sense, you know, you can think of them as the medicine people uh, from Europe and the Middle East before Christianity, before even Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, the word kind of took on its negative associations with the witch persecutions uh, in the 16th and 17th centuries, which were really an attempt to make all of that seem something dangerous and something suspect, uh, to kind of commandeer knowledge and say it has to be approved of by the authorities, medical knowledge, healing knowledge, knowledge of the land, or it's suspect, it's dangerous, it's potentially evil. Uh, it was a way of painting women who had any kind of power or, incidentally, any kind of property or wealth or independence as dangerous and evil. And it functioned very much sort of like the terrorism scares do today, you know, to keep people focused on these formless enemies that could be all around you um, instead of focused on the real economic and political conditions which were changing rapidly in those times and becoming much more oppressive for the poor, for the peasants, for the people who lived close to the land. So what I heard you say, and from the little I know of, of sort of what you're about and you know the history that you have, it sounds to me like the Wiccan or the goddess or the witch scene 
there seems to be a lot of it about women getting their power back from patriarchal society. Is that unfair? Yeah, I mean, not all witches are women; they're men too. But it, you know, for me, I got involved in it back way back in the seventies and the sixties uh, when we were looking at feminism at the second wave and saying. You know, have there ever been any civilizations or cultures where women really had power? And as we began doing research and looking and digging, we discovered that, yes, in fact, there were. That actually, if you go back to the beginnings of just about every culture or civilization, you'll find a time when people live close to the earth, when people thought of the earth as being like a mother, um, when women were honored as those who brought life into the world and those who tended life and where women had respect and authority and power. And you can actually see the rise of patriarchal civilizations going hand in hand with the rise of warfare and slavery and hierarchy and all forms of domination kind of going together. I, I was just speaking uh, with a friend of mine. Well, I, I had asked her. I said, well, I'm going to interview this lady. What would you ask her? And uh, she said, well, I don't know. It just seems to me that the people that I know that are involved or that identify as witches or part of the Wiccan scene seem to be the kind of people who, you know, back in high school, they were outcasts. They were outsiders. And they decided to... To, okay, well, if I'm going to be an outsider, I'm really going to be an outsider, and I'm going to latch on to, the, to mm-hmm. this, and that's going to uh, give me a little more power, a little identity. I, I can gather with others of like mind, and, and sort of there's a confidence in the, in the circle that they're, they're now hanging out with. Again, how does that description of what some people think sit with you? You know, I think it, thinking about one of my friends who was a uh, cheerleader in high school, student body president (laughs) you know it doesn't necessarily fit for everybody right um there's people who were kind of you know a lot of people in the wiccan community tend to be um more intellectual you could say they tend to really like reading and studying and maybe be a little bit nerdy (laughs) But I also know witches who are surfers and witches who are dancers and, you know, witches who are athletes and, you know, so that you can't really characterize it like that. We have a saying in permaculture, which I also teach a lot of, which is ecological design. Um, But there's a, a whole understanding in biology that edges places where two different systems meet are actually the most diverse and creative part of any system. Uh, So you could also say that people who are on the edges um, tend to gravitate there maybe because they are more creative and the mainstream doesn't necessarily fit for them. Okay, well, you bring up a good word, creative. And one of the things that I've been battling with is my own spiritual um, journey and where I've come from, and I've always kind of, you know, when it comes to prayer, first of all, I'm too ADD, I can't focus that long. Um, But I'm also not, you know, I am creative, but I'm not an ultra creative. 
pretty sure I read something recently, Starhawk, that said there's a correlation between the creative imagination side of a person and their spirituality, especially their prayer life or, mm-hmm. or meditation, for, for uh, just as another example. And so I suck at praying. I'm, <laughs> I'm horrible at meditating. And, and I, can't, I just can't imagine stuff really well anymore. I've lost my inner kid, I guess, right? And so what do you think about that? I mean, I, you know, there's a part of me that wonders if your community are people who are just really great imaginers. Yeah. Well, I would say maybe uh, a lot of us are, but I would also say that there are many ways of connecting to what we like to call spirit. And that visualizing, like making pictures in your mind, is only one of them. Um, For me, that comes very easily, but I actually find that my personal spiritual practice, I get more out of it when instead of making pictures in my own mind, I actually go outside and just sit and watch and look and listen and focus on what's going on around me, uh, what nature is saying to me. And that's a spiritual practice I recommend to people all the time, Um, you know, that it's really about just taking time. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a long time. Hmm. (laughs) If you're a little ADD, it's better to go out for like five minutes right then (laughs) to try to sit there for an hour going like, why aren't I getting anything out of this? And the nature doesn't have to be like pristine wilderness. It could be your backyard or it could be the cracks in the pavement, but it's about shifting your internal state so that you actually notice what's going on. And it's amazing to me because I've done this so many times with groups and with myself that I can go out to a place maybe where I've been a thousand times, but if I actually take time to sit and watch and look and notice or look at a leaf closely or look at what's actually growing out of the cracks in the sidewalk, there's always something to see. Mm -hmm. And if you put yourself in that receptive state, again, not necessarily thinking about mystical revelations, but just really using your eyes and your ears and your nose and your senses, um, something comes back that's, that's very, very rich. And you start to understand that nature is always communicating to us. You have said it, at least I'm pretty sure I remember this from one of the interviews I watched of you, that you use imagination to transform. It's part of your code Mm -hmm. to do that sort of thing. Is that a a fair statement? Yeah. Okay. So transform. So you use your imagination to transform. So is that just like an Anthony Robbins thing where if I imagine I'm going to be successful, then I'll be successful? Or help me understand that a little bit more. Yeah. No, I think that's very simplistic and it often sort of turns into a kind of victim blaming. It's like, well, if you're not successful, it's because you haven't had the right attitude. Hmm. Uh, But it's more that anything that we want to do or create begins with imagination even if you think you're not very good at it and yet somehow you got yourself to be the host of a radio show and at some point i don't know how that happened i have no idea (laughs) you know you must have in some way envisioned yourself doing something like that or you know if you get up in the morning and you go to the radio show you have to have in your mind oh 
you know, I see myself there talking to Starhawk this morning, you know, on the radio. Hmm. Um, and so we can use that ability. We can, you know, oftentimes people get caught up in worrying about things or going like, oh, this will happen or that will happen or this terrible thing or that terrible thing. We can really use that to stop and say, well, what do I actually want to have happen? Um, how do I imagine that for myself, envision that for myself, and then put energy, gather resources, do what I need to do to help bring that about. Okay. Um, I just want to remind everybody we're chatting with Starhawk. Uh, she is an author. She is an activist. She is. I want to use all as many labels as I can, okay? You ready? Uh-huh. She, she's a pagan. Um, she is a Wiccan. She is a witch. What else can I say? My ex-husband, Annie, once said long ago that I was really a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice that your ex said that. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, um, you know, creeping on you online, I, I, there's a Wikipedia page on you, and there's some stuff in there that I, I, I want to read and then oh. just kind of have some stopping points. So Starhawk is one of the most respected voices in modern Earth-based spirituality. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, you know, if I read that, I kind of go, I suppose it depends who you ask. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently if you <laughs> ask your ex. Say, well, I don't respect her, but yeah. <laughs> um, she is known as a theorist of feminist neo-paganism and eco-feminism. I'm not sure you can get any more syllables in a sentence. That's pretty yeah. good. Her book, The Spiral Dance, was one of the main inspirations behind the goddess movement. I mean, think about this. Like when you were 15 years old. Just a young girl in high school. Who'd have thunk all that would have gone down in your your future? Oh, wait, did you imagine it back then? You know, I've always actually been sort of a shy person, personally. And I remember at some point when I was 15 years old, somebody did my astrology and told me I had the chart of a public person. And I was like, I can't believe that. (laughs) Um, But I think I started writing with the idea that if I wrote enough, then I wouldn't have to explain things to people. And I wouldn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was a big mistake, right? Yeah, because then people wanted you to explain it more. Right, exactly, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in 2012, you were listed in Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit magazine as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. That's, that's a weird label. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm glad you're reading this. I haven't read my Wikipedia thing and I don't know. Every time I read it, I'm like, I should go get somebody to edit this. <laughs> Starhawk is one of the prominent leaders in the revival of earth-based spirituality and goddess religion. So let's, I want to stop there for a second. I want to pull apart goddess and eco-feminism and even neo-paganism for, for many of our listeners who may not understand these terms. So let's start with, well, let's start with neo-paganism. Can you explain that to people who just don't have a clue? It's perhaps not as used now as it was a few years ago. It was sort of an attempt to differentiate this modern revival of old earth-based traditions from just old garden variety, you know, paganism uh, in the past. And now I think most of us just use pagan, and we use it as a term that represents people who are practicing some form of earth-based spirituality. Um, the word pagan, the root, is the same as the word for the root of countryside. 
and uh, originally was applied to the people in the countryside who are less, you know, who are less uh, eager to adopt Christianity. Uh, now it applies to people mostly from European Middle Eastern traditions. Um, a lot of indigenous traditions may or may not want to use that term, um, but we use it as a broad sort of stroke to say people who believe the earth is sacred and who are in some way have some connection to uh, a spiritual tradition that's not biblical. Okay, so the, I'm so glad you went there because... You know, part of my, like, I know, there's not many, but I know a, a number of Christian organizations mm-hmm. who are really into um, earth stuff. As a, That's a horrible way to describe it, but you know what I mean. They believe that they uh, they should be actually following the scripture that says we are to be stewards of this, of this earth. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that this is a gift to us and we should be taking care of it. Now, there's also... You know the Republican right-wing fundamentalist whack jobs who f- somehow feel that if we destroy the Earth, then Jesus will come sooner, or something weird like that. You know. Uh-huh. Um, well, I think it's a very positive movement in Christianity and Judaism, in all of the major religions, in Islam, in Hinduism, Buddhism. Uh, there are many, many people who right now are saying. Yes, we actually have to take care of the earth. The Pope's statement on climate change is a beautiful, beautiful example of that. Mm. And uh, I think it's very, very important at this time when we're in such environmental crises that uh, these people are stepping up. And a lot of the churches, uh, I was just at the Parliament of the World's Religions and was able to connect and hear from people from all different religious faiths who are really making an effort to say, hey, we have to pray about this, but we also have to do some very practical things to start restoring the natural balance. So would you say that in your, because look, I want to clear this up for our listeners as well. From all the pagans I've spoken with over the years, one of the things that you have in common is that you have nothing in common. (laughs) You, you, you are the most disenfranchised. I, I, I don't want to label. Don't try to figure it. If you, you figure out that group, well, that's not necessarily our group. Whether it's druids or Wiccans or, you know, I was, I was talking uh, with uh, Peter Gilmore, the high priest of the Church of Satan, and he said, well, actually, you know, we, we wouldn't consider ourselves pagans uh-huh. uh, because we're, we're atheists. So don't put us in that category. Uh huh. Um, we probably wouldn't consider them either. No. So. Okay. All right. So you're both agree in agreement on that. But you know, having traveled around and spoken to major pagan uh, leaders around the world, mm-hmm. that is one interesting thing that I've come away with. That as soon as somebody from the outside tries to put a label on you guys or tries to corner you or figure you out, you really don't mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say that's probably true. Most pagans don't like to be like pigeonholed or labeled, you know, and there's a great diversity and variety of things, traditions and groups and organizations and theologies and ritual practices. But I would say that one thing a lot of us hold in common, again, is this understanding that... What we see as sacred, 
Um, and by sacred, I don't mean what you bow down to. I mean what we um, what we hold as most important, what is our deepest determinant of our values, um, the place that we draw strength and sustenance and hope and renewal, and the things that we would take a stand for that are more important than our personal profit or comfort that those things involve the living cycles of the natural world in some way. Mm-hmm. And there are different personifications and gods or goddesses or myths or whatever, but it really comes back to our experience of connection with the life forces as they express themselves in this world and this life. Ecofeminism. To me, that sounds like women who don't shave their legs. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, but ecofeminism. Help me understand that, please. So, ecofeminism was kind of a political movement that grew out of the feminist movement. Was the understanding that the way we treat the earth is often the way that we treat women, and that those issues are interrelated. You know, we talk about raping Mother Earth, or you know, talk about Mother Earth, right? So we can't really liberate women if we don't take care of the life support systems of the planet that we all depend on. And we can't really take care of those systems if we don't also liberate not just women, but all people who are part of those systems, not separate from those systems. Hmm. So ecofeminism, I think, encompasses this understanding that sexism and racism and heterosexism and ageism and all those isms are related they're all part of a system of power over and control that is the same system that then imposes that power over on the earth itself and is rapidly destroying the earth counterbalance has to be justice and regeneration of the earth and of all the human relations that go along with it. Let's talk about the term goddess. I, was, I remember when I was in uh, Glastonbury a few years ago, there's a big goddess temple as you go through that sort of side alleyway and then up some stairs, there's a kind of an interesting area there. And I was very perplexed and, and confused by what that term actually meant. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, I mean, for many of us, talking about the goddess was, first of all, a way to sort of shift consciousness and make visible how much God, who supposedly is this disembodied spirit, was actually in everybody's mind a male. And to make visible that uh, there are many, many, many images of the sacred in female form that honor what it is to be a woman, what it is to be have a woman's body that honor those processes of things like death and birth and growth and sexuality uh, that come through a woman's body. Hmm. Um, Then there are also historical goddesses. There are, you know, figures that are like constellations of images and energies and powers around certain images of the goddess. And then there's also the way I think a lot of us use the term the goddess to mean that great interrelated life force, that interconnection, that web of life that encompasses all beings. Mm. 
Interesting. Um, there's a friend of mine who wrote a book called The Shack, and it's a very big uh, best-selling book. It's a, a Christian-based book that talks about the Trinity. It talks about, obviously, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God. But, <laughs> but um, the role of God in this book is played by a black woman. And there were, uh -huh. there were people that were bugged about that. And theologically, you can't be bugged about that, even from a Christian point of view, because the, the fact is that even the Christian God has a great feminine side to it. So to say that this God is male, the Christian God is male, just because Jesus was male, is ridiculous. Anyway, just thought I'd get yeah. on a little soapbox there. Okay, growing up, did you realize at an early stage in your life, like what... When did spiritual stuff start becoming part of your, your conscious identity? Well, I was raised Jewish, and I always had a attraction to spiritual stuff and to those questions, even as a child. I went to Hebrew school, uh, even though my mother didn't force me to, but I wanted to. Uh, I had a lot of Jewish education. But when I was a teenager, I began looking and saying, Hmm, you know, my real deepest actual moments of spiritual connection aren't actually in the synagogue. They're actually when I'm out in nature. And I began looking. That was the 60s, so everybody was looking and questioning and exploring. And eventually I met some people who started talking to me about the old religion of the goddess, about Wicca and witchcraft. And for me, it was like um, I don't know, just something went, yes, this is what I have been trying to articulate. And I didn't know there was a word for it and other people who also felt the same way. What do you, just a complete aside, what do you think of Jesus? I think Jesus was uh, an amazing healer, an amazing teacher, uh, was probably... A shaman and a magician and a sort of witch in his own right and uh, I think a lot of his teachings are very beautiful and very important and of course like anything else a lot of them have been very misused and abused yeah I th it, I, that might be a misquote but there is a quote floating around that, from Gandhi that said I would have become a Christian had it not been for the Christians <laughs> yeah you know, so and and I've said to many people, Jesus is not the problem; it's his fan club. Yeah, you know, within that, there are some really amazing and positive and wonderful things that are happening within that whole world of Christianity right now. Okay, today being Halloween, it's got to be just a crazy day for you. <laughs> do you stay at home, put on an outfit, and scare the living snot out of kids, or what do you do? Uh, sometimes, um, we, I don't know about scaring them, but we do like to do the trick-or-treating thing. Um, but this year we always have a big public ritual that we do on the Saturday closest to Halloween. And this year it falls on Halloween. So we're very busy preparing a ritual that will have about a thousand people at it where we dance a spiral that symbolizes rebirth and regeneration with a thousand people. Uh, we have beautiful altars and choruses and all kinds of wonderful, you know, beautiful things that happen in it. And it's a chance for us to actually mourn and also honor those who have died during the year and honor the ancestors as well. 
Um, I asked Peter Gilmore, again, I appreciate the Church of Satan, this question, because you think if anybody would be busy on Halloween, it would be you and Peter Gilmore, right? That's what everybody kind of imagines. And I'm starting, no, not starting, I realize that's a misnomer. I realize that, uh, you know, well, what I'm trying to say is I'm starting to really realize you guys are all normal. How nice <laughs> is that? Is that meant to be an insult? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've never, never been good with compliments. Um, yeah. So he said, uh, no, it's it's a day, uh, it's actually my wife and I, it's our anniversary, Halloween, yeah. so that's what we tend to do. And a lot of Satanists get married on Halloween, so it tends to be a lot of wedding anniversaries. And he said there's no real sort of uh, particular uh, uh, Satanic celebration on, on the uh, calendar when it comes to Halloween. No, Halloween is our, one of our most important holidays of the year. It is uh, the time when... We say it's the witch's new year. Uh, it's the ending of the old year and the beginning of the new. Uh, it's the time when we say the veil is thin between the worlds. And you can remember your beloved dead. You remember your ancestors. You're close to them. And I should just say there's really, we consider Satanist to be actually a Christian heresy. It has nothing to do with Wicca or witchcraft. You know, there's no charge in being a Satanist, if you don't believe in Satan, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Yeah. Um, okay, so tonight, a thousand of you, and you'll all be chanting, "What serves life will stand; what does not will fall." The power is in our hands. Love changes all. That's one of our chants. Yeah, um, we have. You know, if people want to know more what our ceremonies are like. You can go to reclaimingspiraldance.org, and there's actually some videos there and lots of pictures. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful ritual. Final question, and I'm not even sure how to ask this other than pop culture, Hollywood, and young people trying to be posers, trying to be something they're not. We've all put you in a category that I'm sure you're not happy with. Mm. And so I guess I want to start with a bit of an apology because that's just ridiculous of us and unfair of us to do that. Um, but if you could grab culture, if you could grab all the young punks who are wanting to become witches and, and, and then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but they're just not getting it. They're not getting what it really mm. is. What would, you, what would you really want to say to those who think which stuff is this? And therefore, they jump into it because of the sensationalism of it all. Well, I would say, you know, for people with anything, sometimes you're attracted by the outer images of something, uh, is to really learn about it. And there's many, many places you can learn about what witchcraft is really about. You know, my books, I've written a lot of them, and you can find them all on my website, starhawk.org. Now, in this day of the Internet, you can find courses and classes and teachers just about everywhere. The group I work with is called Reclaiming. Uh, if you Google reclaiming.org, uh, you, you may find that there are actually rituals or actually classes and things that you can attend in your own area. We do summer intensives people can come to, and you can really learn and get training well, listen, uh, Starhawk, it's, it's just been a, a treat. You and I spoke before over the phone briefly a, a number of months ago, and, and I knew that, that we would uh, enjoy this interview when it eventually did happen. You just have a really sweet spirit about you. 
I'm very appreciative of the time you've given us uh, today. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Halloween, or as we say, Happy Samhain, which is the old Celtic name. Thank you, Starhawk. Thank you. Bye. That was interesting from my point of view. I really enjoyed that. By the way, that was a pre-recorded interview. The reality is, is that Halloween is a tough time to do interviews with witches and uh, Satanists and stuff like that. And some of you were listening. Some of you stopped listening because, you know, you only want to hear Jesus stuff. And um, that's unfortunate. Of course, it doesn't matter if you're not listening because you don't really hear what I'm saying right now. But as I've said many times, it is really important for those of one particular faith to learn from others in other faiths. Stop going to your Christian bookstore and just reading books that Christians write about other faiths. I'm not saying don't go to Christian bookstores. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, why would you go there to learn about other faiths? It's ridiculous. So that's why we have brought you these guests on this show today. It's our Halloween special. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. And we're live right here in southern Ontario on Joy 1250. The song you hear in the background is that um, spiral dance song that Starhawk was leading back in Glastonbury in 2014. Glastonbury, UK is basically the... um, the occult, the pagan center, a mecca of the world. And I was there a few years ago and went to this building. It's a very interesting city. I had one of the most amazing discussions I've ever had with anyone. Two of the world's leading witches in a 15th century pub drinking cascales. Both these witches had their PhDs. Just a fantastic, brilliant discussion. Short break. When we come back, Magist Peter Gilmore, the high priest of the Church of Satan. <laughs> 